It's the Geeky Waffle Podcast. Today we're talking about the evolution of Disney villains. I'm Candice and with me is my co-host Arzu. Hey Arzu. Hello. Okay, so after Encanto and realizing the villain is intergenerational trauma, (laughs) there's not an actual villain. And yes, we don't, I mean, they make it seem like Bruno is the villain. The twist is that it's actually intergenerational trauma and colonialism. Yes, it's, yeah. And it's a little close to home for some of us. It was was a little bit of a punch in the stomach. And I was like, wow, Disney's like really hitting us (laughs) in the heart. Okay, so we're not talking about Pixar. We, because that's, I feel like Pixar and Disney, yes, they are similar and they're under the similar thing, but I feel like, they got their own style. We'll do Pixar later. Yeah. But we are talking about Disney Animation Studio movies. Mm-hmm. So the Disney Animation eras are broken up into about like seven categories. The very first is 1937, the Golden Age. And that's until 1942. This kicks off with the OG princess and villain, Snow White <laughs> and the Seven Dwarves. And we have right there the evil queen, the stuff of nightmares. Were you scared of her as a kid, Arzu? Um, I was scared of her at Disney World on the ride. Yes. But I was not scared of the movie because that was one of the ones that it was like the only one my grandmother had. So mm-hmm. we spent like a whole, like a whole Christmas break, like three weeks of Christmas break at my grandma's house with just this movie. So my brother and I yeah. saw it so much. Like I'm dull to the effects of the evil queen, but let me tell you that Disney ride. <laughs> yeah. Snow White scary adventure. I admit I closed my eyes to most of it. I had nightmares as a kid after that one. And then when I went to Disneyland with Brie and Vanessa, our fellow waffles, I twisted my ankle going off of it. I was so trying to run. <laughs> I don't know if I was in shock or I was just like really proud of myself. I got through it with my eyes open finally, (laughs) even though I was an adult woman. It's because like they're trying to recreate the effect of like on screen when she pops up and she's like, and then she looks all scary. But like they do that on the ride and it's just kind of like, I don't know. There's a different energy maybe because you're in the same room with her, but it definitely feels very different at the park. (laughs) Um, one of the, I believe in 1997, they had a re-release of it on its 60th anniversary. And I saw it in theaters. I think that was like the first time as a kid. Because you remember Disney would put things in the vault. Yeah. Right? Oh, and then God, bring it out of the vault. And all that kind of stuff. And yeah, seeing her on the big screen, I had to get my mom to like take me out of the theater. I was like, I need to go to the oh, restroom. No. Really, I was just like terrified of this evil cackling witch. And she's petty that is one of her main things the whole reason she is evil the evil queen is because snow white is prettier than her i mean fair 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 no that's not fair that's (laughs) actually is it i don't know the older i get the more i'm like you know what that child needed to be knocked down a peg or two (laughs) but yeah so all the villains in the golden age are straight up evil Mm mm-hmm there's like no question to it at all because after Snow White, we get Pinocchio and Pinocchio has multiple villains, even though I would say Pinocchio's lying is the m- most villainous thing of all. Pinocchio is a straight up horror film. 
it is ride. That ride at Disneyland is terrifying. <laughs> it's not just the ride. It's the movie. The movie is, it's not scary in a boo kind of way. It's scary in a psychological way. It like, it's because like the early villains are people who are taking advantage of Pinocchio's honesty of his trusting nature and yeah he lies like all kids do but you know you've got like the cat and i think it's a cat and a fox yeah and then you've got like the the puppeteer and they're like taking advantage of him and that he is very trusting and they can just kind of use him for their own ends then then you get to the pleasure island part which i think scarred an entire scarred several generations of children let's be yep. real ever since ever since the 40s yeah, like little boys crying for their mothers and turning into donkeys just is the stuff of nightmares. And then if that's not bad enough, you end off on a whale named Monstro. And like this might just be me, but I have a hard time with whales to begin with because they terrify me. So the last thing I need is a whale that roars like a monster and eats the make it like everything about Pinocchio was designed to terrify me. And I know this is more about villains, less about how scary it is, but but genuinely, what were they thinking? <laughs> but no, like that goes into this um, era and this, the villains are, the imagery is so strong. Mm -hmm. And we're comparing to Disney's villains today is there are no villains. The imagery isn't there. It's the implications more. I have this vivid memory of being in high school and wasting time at the library. I don't know what I was doing. And they had this big Disney art book. It was like really cool. And it was like, it only went up to like the 80s or something. It was that, it was that old, but so just flipping through it, looking at the artwork, and then I flip to this one page, and it's, you know, the size of a coffee table book. It's quite big. And this double-sided page, the whole thing was Monstro's eye. I'm in the library. I screamed and threw the book across the table. Like, that's how strong the imagery in these movies is. Okay. Um, when I go to Disneyland with Arzu... I'm going to make her go on the Pinocchio ride and I'm going to video the entire thing. It's not the Pinocchio. You know what the scariest thing about Disneyland is? Is the storybook canals. Because there's absolutely no reason the adorable little fairy tale villages needs to be preceded by you going through a whale's mouth. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. But the one and only time I went on that ride, all of the kids were giggling and I had my head between my knees taking very deep breaths. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense because it's a happy little cute boat ride that you go through and you see miniatures of all these big Disney scenes. Like, did Monstro eat the Disney movies? I don't understand. <laughs> okay, I think we've, okay, we've wow. lingered on Pinocchio long. Like now that I'm going to have nightmares, what else do we have? Okay, on that note, another thing that terrified me, Fantasia, Chernobog. Chernobog, uh, yeah. Um, literally the stuff of nightmares. The giant devil's looking dark yeah. shadow guy that's usually i would my cousins my brother my cousins and i when we'd watch fantasia we'd stop it before night at bald mountain we wouldn't watch that one same same yeah same. the rest was fine that's that one we didn't <laughs> want to sit through yeah and then we have dumbo with the evil ringleader dumbo's like one of the shortest movies ever like, yeah again and then bambi we have the unknown hunter human yep yep Humans are the, I think that's like, that's like an indication of where things ended up now, where it's less like one evil person yeah. and more concept. I think Bambi is the first time we see that. Yeah. And I think that's more because they wanted to keep it just with the animals. They didn't mm -hmm. want actually any humans visually. Yeah. Too. So our next era is 1943 to 1949. And that's the wartime era. 
And most of these were multiple stories in one film. So I kind of want to skip it because we don't have any like true villains like yeah. we know in Disney. Well, there is the, you mentioned the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And again, this is more scary and less villainous, but we do have the Headless Horseman. Oh, yeah. And again, think of nightmares for children. Right up. I think what's the scariest thing about about the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, like the cartoon, not the book, mm-hmm. is the ambiguous ending. Which is so unlike Disney, but it's like, what happened? Also, like, talking about ambiguous, um, Pinocchio. We never find out what happens to all those donkey children. No, they're just donkeys now. Nothing happens to them. The Blue Fairy doesn't care. Blue Fairy cares about a stupid puppet, but not like... Because they were bad, so they deserve the bad things that happened to them. Okay, on that note, we're going back (laughs) to the... We're going back... (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going forward to 1950 to 1959. This is called the Silver Age. And this is when the classic Disney villain that we all know and love are much more established. Mm -hmm. Um, This marks um, Disney's return to making big budget full length films after the war. So there are still evil villains like Lady Tremaine and Maleficent, who I feel like have the same like Je ne sais quoi, as the evil queen, you know? Yeah, like these very, like, elegant, middle-aged women who have been wronged by these... Teenagers? Young, beautiful upstarts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, jealousy is a motivator in Cinderella. Uh, so Alice in Wonderland is the next movie. Mm-hmm. And we get the Queen of Hearts, but she's not really that big of a part of the movie. I feel like she no. isn't an overarching villain. This is the first time we see more of a villain being humorous, too. Yeah. Like, her anger and her play croquet is Yeah, silly. like, she's, she's like the comic relief almost at the end. Because I feel like with Alice in Wonderland, this is another one where, like, the concept is the villain. I feel like the villain of Alice in Wonderland is anxiety. And I don't <laughs> think that was intentional. But watching Alice in Wonderland as a kid is the first time I became, like, not aware of what anxiety is. But it's one of the early memories of feeling it. Because mm-hmm. it's this girl lost far from home in a very strange place full of people who are not listening to her and like she feels unheard and unseen and she's just trying to like make her point and nobody is listening so that feels like the madness of wonderland feels more like the villain than the evil queen does but the evil queen is arguably the biggest threat because everybody in wonderland is afraid of her So next we have Peter Pan and Captain Hook is the first male villain of an overarching story. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say like, yeah, probably the hunter and Bambi was a man. Who knows? There are women hunters. We don't know. We have the ringleader and stuff like that and all the mini villains in the shorts. But otherwise, yeah, the first big deal male villain. But he is like seen as kind of funny, but dangerous at the same time. Like he is flipping crazy. Yeah, it's it's his unpredictability, I think. That makes him that makes him such a danger to to the kids like with the walking the plank but then like his fear of the croc and what will he do to avoid the croc like him and Smee, you know yeah. just having this really <laughs> odd relationship and then yeah then sleeping beauty with maleficent which again i feel Very like is classic. the blueprint yes she's what all disney villains strive to be yes um but then we get 101 dalmatians where we get cruella Deville, and she is a funny, like, villain. She also interacts a lot more with our heroes, or at least mm-hmm. the human heroes, than the other ones do. 
Like, she's supposed to be a friend of Anita's. Yeah. So unlike the other villains, which I think is interesting, is the other ones all start off going, this person is the bad guy. Like, yes. this queen is jealous. This per- whatever. But Cruella DeVille, I mean, her last name is Devil. Like, you can kind of <laughs> see where that's going. And Roger points it out, too. But as far as the main characters are concerned, she's not the villain right away. She's, yeah. she's like you said, a friend of Anita's. Yeah, I mean, like, Anita, like, calls her and is talking to her, like, on the phone. She's like, oh, I lost the puppies or something like that, I believe. It has been a hot minute since I've seen it. But, yeah, maybe, maybe the Emma Stone Koala movie was right. Maybe she wasn't the villain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Sword in the Stone, we get Madame Mim. Again, another humorous character. But she's not, again, she's not the most overarching villain again. Yeah, like, the... The I can't remember Serector, the guardian, Arthur's guardian. Yeah. Um, he feels like a bigger antagonist than Madame Mim does. Cause because um Sword in the Stone reminds me a lot of the the wartime stuff in that it's very fragmented. Mm-hmm. It's like these little vignettes. It's not the only not overarching story is yeah. Merlin guiding Arthur. That's the only thing. But so yeah. She she is a villain, but she doesn't feel like the villain in the way that like Maleficent or Captain Hook does. Yeah. And then in the Jungle Book, we have um, actually a few different villains like Ka, who is the snake who hypnotizes Mowgli. Mm-hmm. And he's more of like an antagonist, not quite the villain. But then we have Shere Khan, who is an, I guess you could say, overarching villain. And that he's trying to kill Mowgli the entire time. Yeah, that's a pretty significant threat. But like they don't come into conflict really until right at the end of the movie. But it's it's one of those one of those Queen of Hearts situations where you're aware of him the whole yes. time, even though you don't except you do see him throughout, right? Like it's yeah. not like the Queen of Hearts who only pops up at the end. You're aware of the threat he poses, it just he doesn't pose a threat to Mowgli until right at the end. Yeah. But yeah, Silver Age, I feel like most important are Maleficent Hook. And Lady Tremaine. Those yeah. are the ones that, like, really, you know, are in lunchboxes. And, and Cruella. And Cruella. And Cruella. Oh, my God. I cannot forget Cruella. So, okay. So, then we get to the Dark Age. Actually, the Bronze Age. The Dark <laughs> and Age. I don't have a... What? You called it the Dark Age. Well, I think Disney would call it the Dark Age, too, for their investors. Okay. I mean, that's fair. It's actually called the Bronze Age that came in 1970 to 1988. It's movies like The Aristocats, Robin Hood, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, The Rescuers, Fox and the Hound. Uh, these, again, I feel like the only one with like a really great villain is a great mouse detective mm-hmm. with um, Radigan. Oh my God. Radigan, played yeah. by Vincent Price. Thank you. I just watched this movie like last week. I love he, this movie. He is a scary villain. He is terrifying. I'm also low-key convinced that he and Basil used to date. But Oh yeah. They're they're they, exes. They do not behave like antagonists. They behave like ex-boyfriends. Um, it's fine. That's it's fine. Um, um we also have the Black Cauldron, which Disney tries to forget about. Because it is so dark. It's not that it's dark, honestly. Here's my here's my hot take. Okay. It's not that the Black Cauldron is dark. It's that the Black Cauldron is boring. It is. It does feel drags. It drags a 
it drags so much and there's like there's nothing to hook you really unless you're like already invested in the books that this was based on like there's there's no there's no hook to make you engage like i feel like you don't have enough time to get to know the characters or you don't really know why you should care there's not even any music to like hook you if nothing else does so yeah the aristocrats the butler's the villain the yeah. butler did it the butler did it <laughs> yes um robin hood has king john but like that is more of like a silly villain yeah a very silly villain like very king john silly. and the sheriff i think are like yes, two sides sheriff. of the same yeah. villainous coin so Robin Hood, like, I think, is is really like is really a solid movie from this era. Robin Hood, and I would argue Oliver and Company as well, because I know we already talked about the Grace Mouse, yeah, Great Mouse Detective, and obviously I loved it. But that one and Oliver and Company, I think, are very solid like adventure stories with like minor antagonists, but it's more yes. about the ensemble. Yeah, I think in, only Radigan from this era really stands out as a major villain. You yeah. might disagree. You might disagree. I forget the lady in the rescuers who is uh, Mad- oh god, Madame Medusa. Oh my goodness, you're just pulling this stuff out, Arzu. I skipped doing my, notes. My on this Disney era. store knowledge is coming back. Wow, it's all at the back of my mind. So now we get to the fun part—the part that Arzu and I grew up in, the Disney Renaissance from 1989 to 1999. This started out with the Little Mermaid, which brought us Ursula. Yes. And the villain song, really. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, I'm like looking back. Yeah. They never, the villains never really had a song. Radigan, did Radigan have a song? Radigan had a song. Um, okay. It's the, like, of the songs in The Great Mouse Detective, there's one that like a minor character sings. Otherwise, The World's Greatest Criminal Mind is the only real true like broadway style song in that movie and that's radigan's song yes and well cruella deville had a song but she didn't but she didn't it. sing it it's yeah. iconic but like she didn't it's sing very it. otherwise yeah roger yeah. sing it that's it music wise yeah and little, little mermaid is an actual like musical too yeah like howard ashman Bro- alan mankin broadway style musical alan mankin wrote the score to our childhood yes yes and i feel like ursula kind of has that same feeling as like maleficent snarky Mm -hmm. you know scary witch yep and i will say at hollywood studios aka at the time mgm during the little mermaid scene when the giant ursula came out dude i made my dad leave the the theater with me. it's so scary i could not handle it i i was like four it was like a daddy daughter day and you I, were I just like, done i was like nope i'm like we're out right we're out i cannot do this a, a giant ursula it doesn't matter where it is is just an image that has stayed with me in the most terrifying way mm-hmm. we get rescues down under some australian guys hunter it's actually an american guy in the australian oh, he's outback <laughs> he's american he's played i don't remember the character's name off the top of my head but i know he's played by george c scott oh my gosh and he had like that guana yeah kept trying to eat the eggs and i was like joanna oh, I the babies. Joanna. Oh, joanna yeah <laughs> baby yoda joanna did it first <laughs> <laughs> joanna is baby yoda's idol no, no. Oh, god <laughs> 
God, we're bringing back that um, controversy. But after that, we get Beauty and the Beast, and we get the first male villain in a princess movie. Mm-hmm. So we get Gaston, and honestly, like Gaston was like one of the most terrifying villains because he's so real in a way. I, I love Gaston as a villain um, because, like you said, he's terrifyingly real, and he is like he is the kind of guy we could bump into anywhere. The conventionally attractive borderline, not even borderline, the conventionally attractive asshole who can say whatever he wants and nobody's going to say anything to him because they kind of think he's right. But really, it's just that they think he's hot. And like we have a book review going up on the site soon. Little mini plug for this. But it's Jasmine Guillory's by the book, which is based on Beauty and the Beast, based on the Disney version specifically. And her take on Gaston for the modern era is so well done because it's like a man in an office who is constantly belittling the lead, not in an obvious way, but just enough to make her doubt herself. And nobody really says anything to him because you can't quite pin him for anything. Mm. But like, you know, it's wrong, but on paper, it doesn't look bad. Like you couldn't make that complaint to anybody. And it's just, that's what's so scary about Gaston is that is is that level of well yeah hidden monstrousness at the time he's like women shouldn't read and like at the time yeah women shouldn't read <laughs> that's what people thought and like even if not everybody thought that you would be hard like because i know like beauty and the beast was published for young women to read but like even if not everybody thought that you would be hard pressed to find a small town that completely disagreed with him yeah he had society on his side and he knew it and he had an awesome villain song. Just so good. Honestly, the, that, bop. that song is like my favorite part of the live action movie. Oh, God. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. say what you will about that movie. That whole sequence with the dance and the beat and the all. It was yeah. really good. Yeah. Josh Gad and Luke Evans singing. I loved it, but not to the point where I wanted the series. I'm glad it's dead. I said yes. it. One, we did one, not need a Gaston and LeFou series. One good song does not a prequel series make. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you. We did not need a whole gay baiting series, you know? Yeah. Like, what What did they think was... I don't know. We're getting off topic. <laughs> Point is, we're glad it's gone. Yes, we had feelings, but we're glad our feelings were right. Okay, and then we get to Aladdin. And we have Jafar with a like a twisty mustache and is so obviously evil that you're like, Sultan, why can't you tell he's evil? Because the Sultan's not very smart. No, he's not. He has a mini song, which is a reprise of Prince Ali. Mm-hmm. He, you know, sends Aladdin to the ends of the earth. Yeah. The funny thing, I think, is I know it's not covered in this because we're just talking about the big ones, but he does get his own song in the sequel. <laughs> Yes, he does. He gets, and I think that's like the best part of Return of Jafar. I think it might be. I don't remember what the song's called. It's but... called like Your Only Second Best. Yes, that's the song. It's it's actually not a bad song. Yes, Jonathan Freeman actually voiced, um, actually played him in the Broadway version for a while. And the Broadway version, he gets more music. Until they replaced Jonathan Freeman in the Broadway version. So from 1992 to like what, 2015, 16? Yeah. He was the only actor to play Jafar because he did his voice in like the sequel and in anything House of Mouse. Yeah, House of Mouse. Like, it was all him every time, yeah. like at the parks when they did voiceovers. So until 2016, Jonathan Freeman was like the only actor to play Jafar, which I think is 
kind of funny. I'm just thinking about like Fantasia, a Fantasmic, or the show at Hollywood Studios in Disneyland. It's time to say goodbye to Mickey Mouse lives in my head rent phrase. <laughs> Because that's the only thing you can think that he was in. And that's just like. That's what I was thinking of when I said at the parks. I'm like, I was thinking of of Fantasmic. I'm like, there might have been something else that I'm just not remembering. But No, it was Fantasmic. And then we get to Lion King. And I saw the funniest tweet recently. And someone was like, why does Scar have an accent? Did he do a semester abroad? (laughs) He went away for a gap year. It's such a good point. Why is he British? Is it just because the British people are evil and he's Jeremy Irons? Yeah, I get because he's British and therefore evil. Yeah, we or learned evil that in and Star therefore British. <laughs> right? And we learned that in history too. I mean, speaking of Pocahontas, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, well, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> um, again, amazing song. Be yeah. prepared is oh, a banger. God. Why they would cut it out of the live action, live action, quote unquote, it was computer animated. Why they cut it out of the remake, I will never know because it's so good. It's such a good song. Chilling. I, I don't know why they, I don't know why they did many things in that movie. I don't know why they made that movie, but <laughs> yeah, let's be real. But yeah, I don't know why they would cut that track because it's such a good one. It's great. Um, his role is expanded in the Broadway show. Shows him going mad, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, again, chilling. And it's also with all these that we talked about, it's very obvious who the villain is. Yeah. From the get-go. Including in Pocahontas, where we get to Ratcliffe. Well, Pocahontas does have that great line that's been memed where the chief comes out of the council house and just goes, these white men are dangerous. And I'm like, there we go. There's the nope. villain. It's not it. It's all of them. I know Ratcliffe. I know Radcliffe is like the instigator because he keeps trying to kill people, but <laughs> like all of the quote unquote good guys that we see setting up this colony in Virginia, like by the time we get around to the sequel and they've built Jamestown, we've got all these British people who just showed up and now they're being racist. And yep. like Radcliffe didn't do that by himself. Nope. Like everybody, John Smith, Thomas, those two yeah, buddies. Yeah, Thomas. Of theirs. I thought you were saying Thomas. No, they all went back. Jeez. And it, it, they made, honestly, the end of the first movie made it seem like the settlers decided not to stay in Virginia. Yeah, they were like, bye. Yeah. Nope, somebody stayed or somebody came again. Next, we get the hunchback of Notre Dame and we get Frollo again, terrifying like Gaston because you can see him being very real. Yeah. And his song is also a banger, Hellfire. And it is also terrifying. And it's, again, yeah. the prologue of this movie is him literally like murdering a woman trying to save her child. Yeah, like I just Frollo is so chilling, not just because like not just because of the kind of guy he is, but because of like the the way he has like groomed Quasimodo to expect this as normal behavior. Mm-hmm. And, like, conditioned him to believe all the same sick things he does. And he just genuinely doesn't see a problem with any of it. That's what's so scary. Is like, I feel like up until this point, all the villains are kind of like, Loki, I'm evil. And they think they're being evil. Frollo doesn't think he's wrong. Do you no, know what I mean? he thinks he has, like, the right. That, like, 
he's being bewitched by Esmeralda that he is actually doing a service to Quasimodo because no one would ever love him, you know? Yeah. Even like, though he's doing it out of guilt. It's it's out of guilt, like, for, for himself, like, for yeah, his own it's, salvation. It's like, He does not care. He would have left that kid there. Next, we have Hercules with Hades. Hades doesn't get a song. He gets a song in the series. Mm. <laughs> and, mm. uh, not a great song. Not a great song. Unlike Jafar's song, his is not a bop. No. Um, he, I like the sassiness of Hades. Don't like James Wood. But I like Hades. This is the only fictional version of Hades that I do not find sexy. Um, yeah, it's very, it's not odd. I was about to say it's odd, but like Hades is not like a villain in Greek mythology at all. No, like he's just, he's you just, know, it's. He's just the god of, of the underworld. That's just what it happens to be. He's not. So yeah, when you Disney buy it. <laughs> yeah, you just underworld villain. You needed a villain. So you go with the guy yes. who deals with the ghosts, right? And you couldn't have it be Hera. No. Who is technically Hercules' stepmother in Greek mythology. Who it makes him go mad and kill his wife and children. Yeah. You couldn't do that. You couldn't have it be the 12 labors of Hercules because Hades isn't the one that instigated those. Like there, there is no singular villain in Hercules' mythology except arguably Hera. But then if it, you make it Hera because the stepmom, then Zeus is stepping out and we can't have that. We can't have him having an affair with that lady. So as a swan. as Hercules wasn't the swan. No, but. But. Zeus was, if you, but, he would talk about his other half siblings. <laughs> yeah, like. No golden mist raining down on some poor woman. No, none of that. You can't. You can't do that in a Disney movie. So yeah. But again, very obviously evil. An evil uncle like Scar. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we have to be sus of stepmothers and uncles. Yeah. What's up with that? I don't know. It's a trend. Mm-hmm. So Mulan, we have the Huns. Mm-hmm. And Shanya down- specifically. Yeah, we have to get down to business to defeat the Huns. Mulan only has interactions with the villain at the very end. Mm-hmm. And I feel like... But the armies as a whole do interact a couple times. Yes. And I think as a whole and, you know, just the ruthlessness is terrifying enough. Yeah. I'd agree. Like, it's because Mulan isn't just... It's not a direct conflict because it's not just the Huns. It's also her lying about her identity the whole time. So there's that extra level of tension. So you don't need the villain to be present constantly because you do have the law as another villain in, in her story, right? So, yep. So I think it, it works that they're not engaging the whole time. Yeah. He didn't need to be a big part of the story. He, yeah. The army and him, um, Shang Yu, are like catalysts for her actions and the reason she gets the call to adventure kind of thing but yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say is they're they're more the catalyst than the than the ongoing villain yeah and then after that the last movie in the disney renaissance is tarzan and again we this time well i guess a leopard is one of the villains (laughs) this one has two villains the early villain and the late villain so we have the The early villain, which is um, Sabor, the, Sabor yes. the leopard. And then we have Clayton, the uh, colonist. 
Yeah, the hunter. The He's hunter. the escort of escort of Professor Porter and Jane. And again, I think from the beginning, even as kids, we were like, that guy's sus. Well, yeah, he's British and he's got a twirly mustache. <laughs> We've been conditioned <laughs> to expect that the, the snobby sounding Brits are the bad guys. Because Professor Porter and Jane are both British as well, but they don't have that sinister edge that Clayton does. Can I give just a little... Um... A little trivia bit that I learned today when I was looking up something about Clayton was he's played by Brian Bless, and Bless also provided the trademark Tarzan yell for the film since Tony Goldwyn, who plays Tarzan, couldn't give his own like satisfactory version. They say, "Huh." So That's the yell that you hear of Tarzan is Clayton. Huh. I didn't know yeah. that. It's very interesting. It's a good job. Yeah. Seriously. Okay. Now we're getting to the post-Renaissance. And you know what? I will admit, I have not seen all these movies. Which I have seen all but one of them. Is it Home on the Range? It is Home on the Range. That's so. <laughs> I think that's the only one I haven't seen. Actually, do Okay. I've seen all these. But no, Bolt. I did not see Bolt. So we're at the post-Renaissance era, which is 2000 to 2009. And... Fantasia, 2000. Um, Dinosaur. Okay, I haven't seen Dinosaur. I've ridden the ride a thousand times. I've seen times. it once. So Do you I don't remember, remember who the villain is? No. It was... It, one, it was boring. And two, I was jet-lagged. So I don't remember anything about it. was probably it. like a, a T-Rex or something, probably. Yeah, I don't even know. I'm just thinking of the land before time, but that's not right. So yeah. I don't but know. But... We have the Emperor's New Groove, which brings us Yzma, who I think we all adore. Oh, she's fantastic. Eartha and again, Kitt, unbelievable. Yeah. That is a really good thing. That's a good point, is that they bring these iconic actors in to play these roles, and they really breathe life into them, like Eartha mm-hmm. Kitt did. And she doesn't get a song. She gets a song in, I think, the series. Okay. I have it heard it but she gets it somewhere and she's one of those humorous but also devious you know villains yeah but the the thing is her humor doesn't feel quite as over the top as some of the earlier humorous ones does because like i'm thinking of like captain hook for example is is humorous in a way that doesn't match the tone of the rest of the movie yeah but the emperor's new group as a whole is so funny and such like a product of the humor of its time that Yzma just fits right into that. Definitely. Yeah, she goes with um, Cusco and Kronk. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. So. And again, you know she's evil right away, right? Oh, yeah. There's no question about it. <laughs> okay. So the next movie we get to is when we get to twist villains. Dun, dun, dun. dun Atlantis in the Lost Empire. And, and this was a bit of a bomb for Disney. And I think it has the highest body count of any Disney movie. So many people yeah. die. But Lost Empire has uh, Milo's crew that he goes to Atlantis with turn on him at the end. And some of the crew turn back. But there are two who are like still like. Who just go down having turned on him. Yeah, and I f- believe like that's really the first time we see a villainous twist. People who the hero thought were allies. Yeah. 
And then we get Lilo and Stitch, but um, I feel like Stitch overcoming, I think it's Stitch and Lilo overcoming their trauma is the real villain, if you think about it. Yeah, like there is that external threat of um, the councilwoman and and my man, Captain Gantu. Um, okay, no, that's not, he's not the main villain. <laughs> um, Jumba and Pleakley are for this. But the thing is, by the end of it, Every single person is fine to just let Stitch live where he is and just kind of wash their hands of it and walk away. So, yeah, I would agree that the, the trauma is the bigger antagonist than than any external force. Yeah, so this is like the early 2000s. I feel like this is where we start seeing Disney villains disappear, really. Or yeah. like having a, a physical antagonist right. start changing. Treasure Planet... Also, not quite twist villain, but someone you think is a friend. The only thing I will say for Treasure Planet is, yes, it's a twist villain, but Disney didn't make it a twist villain because that it's the twist villain in Treasure Island as well. So yeah. that that was at least kept consistent. Yeah, like I feel like if you're familiar with Treasure Island, you would know. Or if you've yeah. seen the Muppets version. I was right? going to say, like <laughs> most kids, I think watching Treasure Planet probably hadn't read Treasure Island, but they did watch Muppet Treasure Island so they they kind of knew that Long John Silver was the bad guy or saw the wishbone episode like I did well there we go <laughs> <laughs> um I have not seen Brother Bear that's another one I did not see I saw it when it first came out um but have not seen it since so yeah uh, we're just gonna skip it we're gonna skip Home on the Range that's about cows I believe well, that Chicken one I know has a villain I oh, know that one has a villain but I haven't seen it, but it's like the the usual, like very the usual evil. I think he's like he's not a prospector; he's like a rancher or something, like mm-hmm. a cattle rancher. So, okay, and after yeah. that, we get to Chicken Little, which is first. I um, I believe the father is the villain of Chicken Little, not listening to his own son. Oh, okay, I don't remember that one. Wait, and Chicken Little, you know, says sees things falling from the sky. Nobody believes him, and then all of a sudden, aliens invade. Another time, he says he sees things, and nobody believes him. So I guess the aliens really are evil, the villains, but they're not there to the end. It's it's a mess. Okay, no, meet the Robins. I love me the Robins. Me too. It's me so too. good. It's the best, and this is where we get the friend turned villain and the twist villain too. Yeah. So, uh, God, what did they call him? Goob. Goob, but they also call him... Bowler hat guy. Bowler hat hat guy, guy, yes. So, the twist at the end, spoiler alert for Meet the Robinsons, is because you're in the future, Lewis goes to the future, Mm -hmm. and there's this bowler hat guy who is trying to sabotage. He brings a T-Rex who says, we didn't think this through, I have tiny arms. And a big big head and little arms. And little head, Yes. That always cracks me up. So. I still I still say that. If something's not working, I'll be like, I have a big head and little arm. <laughs> we did not think this through. So the twist is like, Lewis is an orphan, and in the orphanage, he's a roommate with this little guy called Goob. And <laughs> Goob grows up to be a villain because he doesn't get enough sleep because of Lewis. It's not just that he doesn't get enough sleep. Here's the tragedy of Goob is that he doesn't get enough sleep and he's so he misses the the ball that like is coming towards him in the baseball game. He doesn't catch it. And then when somebody comes to potentially adopt him, all he can talk about is the fact that he missed the ball and they all think he's nuts and he doesn't get adopted. 
all yeah. because of Lewis. And he's First just like so tired. <laughs> he's so tired. And then he also doesn't think that anybody at like school or socially likes him very much, but like they do. So he's just this lonely, angry little boy. And I love him so much. He's so sweet. I feel so bad. But yeah, this is a time that we really like feel sympathy for the villain too. Oh, 100%. Which is something that happens more in the future as well. And we see, you know, the future gets changed. The past gets changed. Yeah. So, but yeah, I feel like, you know, with the twist villain, we got the twist villains. We got uh, trauma being a villain. We got friends turning to villains. And that brings us to the revival era 2010 to present and so what we see in this era is rather than having one physical character be like the thing of evil like maleficent the main conflict from the movies are from interpersonal and there's differences and yeah except let's go through this okay let's go in order wait prince is a frog who do we have arzy we have dr facilier Played the by last Keith David. great Disney villain. Not okay, great. Mother Gothel would like a word. No, I'm sorry. I forgot about Mother Gothel. Okay, One of you. the final <laughs> big kind of like traditional Renaissance era Disney villains. Yes. He gets an amazing song that is a bop. I think we both can agree. He 100%. is, again, obviously evil, right? From the get-go. He's, he is the shadow man. Yes. Like, there's no, we don't need somebody else to be like, I think he's a little sus. He he tells us he is sus. Yes. Will you shake a poor sinner's hand? I'm sorry. I just, I love that song. taking blood from people. Like, you know. I just love that sequence, too, with Navi and his servant. And he's just like, that whole song. Yeah. It's so good. Okay, I'm not going to start singing because that would be mean <laughs> to people. Welcome to the musical waffle. Yes. In the same kind of vein is Mother Gothel Entangled, someone who's trying to act like an ally to our heroes. But in but reality, it's quite obvious. yeah, obviously to everyone, evil sus. Like at the beginning, it's literally Eugene telling us the story about how Gothel stole Rapunzel. So we know she's yeah. a kidnapper. She ain't good. <laughs> no, this is, um, in, yeah, like big in the villain, original- villain song kind of. Yeah, person. she gets a uh, Mother's Note Best. If you don't know, one of the newest um, podcasts at the Geeky Waffle is What the Hair, a Tangled podcast where Krista and I go through everything Tangled. And we do talk about Mother Gothel because she can. She has some dumb moments, but she's also very villainous. And one of the original concepts for it, they were going to actually have Gothel be a sympathetic character that you didn't know was evil until the end be right. a twist villain but i'm glad they didn't because yeah that's I, that's messy when you get having to that a parent point. like be the villain kind of thing yeah like if you if you set it out from the get-go that this person didn't never really love rapunzel and just wanted rapunzel for what she could do to her that do like take from her that's one thing but if you if you make it ambiguous like that then you kind of you muddy the water in a way I don't think you want to. After that, we got Winnie the Pooh. Next, we have Wreck-It Ralph, which, again... Is there no villain in Winnie the Pooh? I haven't seen it. I think it's the wind. Oh. I don't remember. (laughs) 
It's the wind. The most evil villain of all is the wind. Words. Words. Pooh Bear is hunger for honey. <laughs> it's something like that. Okay. Never mind. Wreck it, Ralph, then. Wreck it, Ralph. We have a twist villain again. King Was Candy. he a twist villain? Did we not see that coming? It was a twist of who he was, who That's King true. Candy was. Right, right, right. Like, we knew he was, like, an antagonist, but we didn't know he was the main villain, I think. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things that just feels obvious in retrospect. I feel like kids wouldn't know it. Yeah, that's probably fair. Okay, now we get to one of the biggest twisted villains that the internet was talking about the most, and who Arzu loves from Frozen. It's Hans. Prince Hans has never done a thing wrong in his life. He is precious baby boy. He was mind manipulated by the trolls because he did actually love Anna until the trolls mind manipulated him to make him crazy. (laughs) This is my conspiracy theory. Yeah, again, this is a theory. Yeah, no, it's it's based solely on the fact that like Anna walks away in one shot like early on and the camera lingers on Hans and he's like, genuinely smiling i'm like but there's nobody watching like he didn't have to or he's smiling because he's like got my meal ticket in no it's like i love her (laughs) it's that kind of smile okay i don't get me wrong i love Kristoff, but i I like i don't know i like an angry boy with with issues (laughs) with daddy and mommy issues (laughs) i was gonna say daddy and mommy issues but it's more like older brother issues so it's all the issues issues He's just an angry boy with familial issues who needs a hug. So, which is like my bread and butter. I remember seeing this like before the Frozen like um, mania happened. It was like around when it just came out. And my theater was packed because it was still a Disney movie, you know? Yeah. And when the twist happened, there was like, oh, (laughs) yeah, like in the theme. It's so sudden. And it's so cold that it really takes you by surprise. And also somebody had told me, because I was working at Disney at the time at the Disney store, and somebody had told me before I saw Frozen that Olaf was the villain. (laughs) So I went in expecting Olaf to turn, which obviously didn't happen. So I think that helped with my surprise a little bit. And you know what? I would say Hans actually does have a song, a villain song. Love is an open door. It's an Mm. open door for him to get the throne. But Anna wants open doors for connection. And he agrees that open doors equal connection. Because he loves her. No, except in the song specifically, he says, I've always been looking for a place of my own. He doesn't point, you know, at her. He points at the castle, at the, at Arendelle. Because that's where Anna lives. (laughs) Oh my God, (laughs) okay next we have big hero six which we have another twist villain in a way yeah yokai ends up being someone they know shock Shock. imagine it was just some rando yeah just some rando evil guy and again in zootopia it's a a sheep okay so for those who haven't seen zootopia um the premise that they want you to think is like the villain is like prejudice like the herbivores and the carnivores or the predators and the prey i think they call them like the predators and the prey are like the two societies that have historically been in conflict and now in zootopia like they live at peace 
And then the villain is the assistant to the mayor who's a little sheep who wants things to go back to the way they were because she doesn't like working for the predators. And it was just such a, I mean, I get why, but it was such a strange twist. Maybe because she's a little sheep. I don't know. Played by Jenny Slate. <laughs> she's a little sheep that sounds like Jenny Slate. And she's the big bad who almost brought society crumbling down. Next one is Moana, which is a princess movie without a villain, really. Yeah. I Yeah, there's not really like an actual villain. There's antagonist. Maui is kind of an antagonist to her. And then there's you know, um, Tamatoa, kind of. Yeah. But she doesn't have to overcome a certain thing. But a no. certain person. She doesn't have to. She has to help someone. So Yeah. Like she has to overcome, I guess, her dad's overprotectiveness. But that's a, that's just a feature of being a Disney princess. Yeah. Also, her dad is played by Tamara Morrison. And that makes me I was waiting happy. for you. <laughs> makes me no, so she, happy. I'm like, okay. Was, mm-hmm. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly the dad got hotter. <laughs> Please um, subscribe to our Patreon, where one of our episodes is Hot Disney Dads. And yes, we do talk about Moana's dad. Unfiltered thoughts. Unfiltered thoughts that cannot be released on a podcast. On main line. Yeah. Because we have family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We don't want this to be easily available. No, we, we you got to work for it. You got to pay us for this. <laughs> or just follow us on Twitter. Pretty much. Or, yeah, I come to any of our live streams. Ralph Next breaks the Ra- internet. Yeah. There's not really physical yeah, who villain. Who the antagonist in this? I know I saw time? it. But, like, time? Like, the concept of time? Kind of. Like, they have to beat the clock before the guy unplugs the game for good. Is anybody trying to stop them? I think there's a virus or something, but it's not like... They have to fight somebody, and then, like, there's... Rapunzel uses her hair, and all the princesses come to save the day. I just don't remember who they're fighting. Isn't that bad? Like, the thing that we remember most is the princesses. Yeah. (laughs) I remember Gal Gadot playing, like, some, like, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, I remember the song A Place Called Slaughter Race, but I don't remember... Oh, no, Ralph unleashes a virus onto Slaughter Race to get Vanellope not to, like, stay there. So the princesses help Ralph. So Ralph is the villain. Yeah, Ralph is the villain. Okay. Which he was trying not to be the villain the whole other movie. He's he's the bad guy, but he's not a bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) He needs to go back to his self-help villain classes. I think so. Or self-help group. Next, we got Frozen 2, and yeah, there is no Hans. There's just, a, like, a conflict between, between Arendelle and North Underland. Und- North Aldra. North Aldrin, yes. And arguably the dad is the bad guy. Arguably the grandfather. Grandfather, yes, not yeah, the, the dad. Yeah, the grandfather. The dad didn't know what the heck was going on. He was just like, lady pretty. <laughs> lady pretty, okay. I marry you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the grand- arguably, but he's not, like, present. It's just the side effects of of his actions that are the antagonist so i feel like from zootopia onward it's kind of become more like society is the problem Mm -hmm. and it's like a larger societal ill that we should just overcome like why can't we be friends kind of deal that kind of is what happens in brand the last dragon yeah there's no real there's a rival 
but there's not like a main well, like, villain. No- Namari's mother, I think, is the closest thing to a villain. And even then, it's just kind of like wanting to do the best by her people versus wanting to do the best for the nation as a whole. It's not to be evil for evil's sake. Yeah, it's not evil for evil's sake. But it did give us Ray and Namari, the cartoon Raylo. So you knew I had to bring it up. I you knew it. it. Enemies to lovers. It's right there. Right there. And they are obviously in love. Anyway, um, yeah. Go I watch Ray and the Last Dragon. <laughs> Why everything is Raylo. It is! (laughs) Not everything, but that is. And last, we come to what inspired this conversation, Encanto, which is intergenerational trauma. Yeah, and harsh grandmothers. Harsh grandmothers, which I think we can all relate to. Mm. Even talking about, like, Pixar right now with Turning Red coming out. Well, it came out by the time... By the time this is out, Turning Red is also out. Puberty. (laughs) Puberty is, like, being a preteen. Is like puberty is the worst villain. Yeah, and I think anybody who's ever like grown up understands that. You know, so all of you listening. Yeah, so everyone who's ever. Yeah, I hope no children are listening to this, even though it's no, bad. Please to don't. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what this says about Disney or about us as a society or the times that we don't. Are we trusting children more to like understand conflict than just being like, here's a bad guy? I think so. I think growing up with like the older Disney model, you grew up with this very conventional sense of this person is 100% wrong. This person is 100% right. And that's fine in early media, but it doesn't really work in media in real life after that. Like it, things aren't quite so black and white. So having these villains be very highly motivated for, for a reason that maybe you don't agree with all of it, but you do see how they got there, I think is... Yeah, like you said, we are trusting children with these more mature, like, larger concepts. Yeah, and, like, just thinking about Encanto and, like, the family dynamic and having Mm -hmm. to talk things out. And it's just these big concepts that I think children are grasping. They are understanding it from what I've seen from my friends' kids. Yeah. And it's, like, trusting kids to, like, you know see that because i feel like some of these villains like maleficent curses a baby because she wasn't invited to a party you know yeah like i I think the early stuff like when you're talking like based on fairy tales yeah then you kind of have that that sort of moral split of right and wrong and then and then as it got later and later and they sort of weren't doing fairy tales anymore then it became okay there isn't a clear right or wrong so what is the antagonist then yeah. Even in Frozen, if we pawn out of the picture. Yeah. Really, like, Elsa is both the antagonist and protagonist of the story. And it's, like, the bad bad advice that her father took mm-hmm. is the conflict, really. Like, yeah. him not understanding what the trolls were saying about love. Well, the and, I know in the original yeah. concept for Frozen, Elsa was supposed to be the bad guy. Yeah, and then they wrote Let It Go, and we're like, this is way too catchy, and she's a hero now. <laughs> it, it's not even just that she had a catchy song. It was like she they understood her. They, they saw where mm-hmm. she was coming from. Like, she can't be the villain because she's right. Like, it was surprising to actually go through this and realize, like, you didn't really get a villain song into the 80s. No. And it's, it's funny, like, the things we define them as, like, Disney villain things yes. happened so far after the key Disney villain era. Yeah. Because most of the villains, like, you'll see at the parks or on merch or whatever came from before then. Yeah. I, and yet. 
don't know is because like we're 90s kids and we grew up with like Ursula and Scar and like Frollo and you know Jafar like and Gaston yeah. like these are who we think Disney villains are mm-hmm. but even though like we got like we were talking about Bambi Bambi the villain is a concept really yeah. an unseen thing well, the thing is, we had all of these villains in our head. It wasn't just our generation's villains. It was all of them because, like, we grew up at that era of, like, I don't know if you remember, like, the, the gold collection and the masterpiece yes. collection. And, like, this was right when they were releasing, like, all of the movies on tape, like, once a month. Yeah. Things were coming out of the vault. So we had access to everything. No, I remember, yeah, getting good grades in school. We'd go to Target or Walmart and pick up one of these movies when they were released. Yeah. Or they would be playing on TV and we would just record them. I had Peter Pan still on VHS when it was played, like when we got a month free of Disney Channel. And my mom's yeah. like, record everything for the children. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it's just interesting to see where the villains are. Like, like you said, like the last real Disney villain is Mother Gothel, really, entangled. Yeah. The last, like, the last big name villain. And the thing is with these twists is, I know a lot of people think they hinder, like, watchability, but, like, watching Frozen again and knowing what Hans is, like, up, up to kind of plays it more fun. Yeah. Like, it's a different kind of rewatch experience. Yeah. So, overall, do you think Disney's going to keep this going? I think so. I think it's going to be less of the obvious bad guy and more of the, like, society is the real villain. <laughs> but I do like them trusting kids more and, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, maybe, I just sat here writing an apology letter for Hans. So, like, I'm, I'm totally about my shades of gray. And maybe they'll cause a, a few less nightmares by their imagery. Yeah. I think that's one one thing. It's like, it's not that it's less striking, but it is a lot calmer overall. It's going to be interesting to see where they go from here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see where they go. How far they'll go. How far there you go. There we go. It was the <laughs> if they let it go, too. Okay. <laughs> Even though I do enjoy this path, I do miss a good villain song. That's true. I I miss the Broadway style. Like, yes. I think that's part of why I like, like, I, I, you know, have my issues with Frozen having worked at Disney right when it came out and getting blamed <laughs> for a whole host of things that were out of control. But I do, what I do like about it is that it did kind of bring back that Broadway vibe music wise. Yeah. And I, I miss that. I mean, Encanto, I've been listening to a repeat. Oh, Encanto's got great music. Great, uh, great music. I I found out today when I was cleaning a little bit that I can sing all the parts of We Don't Talk About Bruno from memory. <laughs> I haven't quite problem. gotten there yet, but. Seven foot frame. That's the longest way. Okay. That's a whole other thing. Now that that's stuck in everyone's head. Yes, I apologize. No, I don't. If I have to suffer, you all have to suffer with me. This is my Disney villain origin story. We don't talk about Bruno. No, we don't talk about Bruno because the song is going to be in our freaking heads. Anyway, you can find us at thegeekywaffle.com, geeky underscore waffle on Twitter, thegeekywaffle everywhere else, including Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Patreon. Again, Patreon. Check out our hot dads episode, hot Disney dads episode where things got very giggly. Arzu, you can find at Arzu Amin on Twitter, and you can find me at Candace is a Geek. We hope you all stay geeky.